0: Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks
1: And I'm Scott Eisenberg.
0: (laughs) And we are a married couple like to shoot the shit about movies.
1: That we do, that we do. And this week we have a returning guest. He is one-third of the amazing podcast, Three Black Halflings. So we had to bring him on for the most D&D-inspired Marvel movie we could think of, Jeremy Cobb, the man of many names.
2: Hello! It's so nice to be here. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Uh, We we did 42 last time. Yes. Yeah, in honor of Chadwick Boseman, and I'm very glad to be back. I love this movie, and I love you guys, uh, so I love being here.
1: Uh Jeremy, as I said, was one of the hosts of three black halflings. So Jeremy, tell us about your podcast and everything we need to know where the people can find it and all that good stuff.
2: Oh yeah, sure. We are a Dungeons & Dragons kind of focused podcast. Uh, We talk about diversity and inclusivity in Dungeons & Dragons as well as tabletop role playing games in general as well as just nerd stuff in general. We do uh, DM tips, we give player tips, we have like favorite movie lists. We also do interviews. If you're a fan of D&D, we probably have talked to somebody who you like. And we also do actual play shows. Uh, I'm the resident DM for the show, as well as being a co-host for the talk show episodes, so I DM all of the stuff. We're in the middle of recording a big season right now, uh, and at, at the time of recording this, also we are releasing a mini series called *City of the Black Rose*, which is like a gothic horror slash noir setting that I made. Uh, it's a fun little four-part mini series. Yeah, one of my favorite was *Outlaws and Obelisks*, which I was listening to while I was working. <laughs> That is a weird combination of like this crazy weird West, uh, like sentient camel. There's a frogman running around. There's a robot, a uh, talking jackal, uh, and hoats, which are a combination of horses and goats.
1: Oh dear, I don't think I got to that one. But even
2: it's one, it's
1: Jeremy, Jasper, the whole crew over there is great. I honestly can't recommend them enough.
2: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, We we had an absolute blast recording that. We have a blast recording just about everything. So, yeah, go check us out, please. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, at 3, the number 3 Black Halflings. Uh, We're also on Instagram with the same handle. Uh, We have Facebook. We're all over the place.
0: Yeah, we definitely wanted to have Jeremy back on for this particular episode because when we were trying to decide, like, where it would fit everybody, because one of our big goals for Season 3 of Shoot the Flick was to get more guests on the show, more people to shop it up with, especially returning guests. And we were thinking, isn't Guardians of the Galaxy just like D&D in space? Let's get Jeremy on for that episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is something that I've gotten really into recently is while watching the movie, I assigned uh, D&D character classes to each of like the main characters. I recently just did it for Lost. I like rewatched the show Lost and did it for all the main characters on that. <gasps> You like Lost. Oh, Frankie, I got to send you my list <laughs> at some point.
0: Oh my God. I love, I still have to get Scott to watch it. I love Lost so much.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, Scott, Scott, you got to watch Lost, bro. It's a good series. It's really good.
1: It's so good. It was one of those shows that I was just like, I'll get to it eventually. Oh. And I have just never got to it. So good. As far as just
0: TV shows in general, I feel like you it's very difficult to end a show satisfactorily for
2: everyone. Mm-hmm.
0: However, the majority of people, I feel like, don't like the ending of Lost. I don't know, if Jeremy, if you like it or not. I,
2: I actually really like it. I can understand why some people don't like it. When I watched it for the second time recently, I felt myself getting a little choked up uh, with that big, where every, you know, the music playing. Everybody's just smiling, and it's like, oh...
0: Yes, I mean the music too. It's very. We're not, This is in a lot. Speaking of oh, Marvel, God, yes. though speaking we're of Marvel, not, Frankie, the like, guy,
2: the guy who did the music for Lost, does the music for the, the Avengers movies. Michael G- I know. Michael Giacchino. <laughs>
0: I love you for bringing this up. Okay. <laughs> the
2: segue off Lost.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> I, like, I I'm chomping at the bit to talk about Ben, so, like, let's stop. Okay.
1: <laughs> the segue off Lost is we ta- brought up how good the music is, apparently. <laughs> we are now starting Music Month.
0: Yes, we figured since, you know, this movie obviously is iconic for its music. The soundtrack was, like, number one on the Billboard charts. It was nominated for a Grammy, but lost to Frozen fuck that. But (laughs) I mean, I like Frozen, but you know, Guardians, man, it's better. Sorry. But um, we figured we would make this month of June music month. And don't worry, kids and Scott, you won't have to watch any musicals. We're not including musicals in our music month because we already do musicals all the time, I feel like. But we're going to just keep it to movies that have a specific element of music in them that is... Of note that is important and kind of makes the movie. So this movie was directed and co-written by James Gunn, who is a very uh, distinct director in his tone as far as the movies he's made. I just found out recently when I was doing research for this movie that he directed and wrote the live-action Scooby-Doo movies, which I didn't know, and I feel like I'm also in the minority that I liked the first one, but it's it's fine. <laughs> Don't judge me. But yeah, James Gunn, uh, I feel like, has a very distinct style, kind of mixing horror and comedy in a lot of his movies, which is kind of the thing to do now. I feel like, but
2: yeah, I think it's. I wonder if how much he was influenced by like Sam Raimi, thinking of like Evil Dead and stuff like that. Like obviously, Sam Raimi's visuals are a lot more off the wall, but the weird tone of like, it feels like if you were to combine like earlier Joss Whedon with like Sam Raimi you'd get something similar to James Gunn.
1: Yeah Sam Raimi is a good possibility of people he probably looked up to. Carpenter also because Carpenter has some funny stuff in his movies so those are probably people James Gunn looked up to when he made movies like Slither.
2: Yeah and Super. Super really leans into like the dark comedy. It gets pretty rough in some parts.
0: But also something else I just want to note. Guardians of the Galaxy was also co-written by someone by the name of Nicole Perlman. And uh, she was a story writer on movies like Captain Marvel and Detective Pikachu. And she is kind of iconically the first woman ever to be credited as a writer on an MCU screenplay, which I just felt I had to mention as the resident female on the podcast.
2: (laughs) Definitely noteworthy in my opinion. It's weird. I think it's a commentary on the industry uh, that it took I don't even know. This was, was was this even phase one? Was this phase two? Phase two. Yeah. It took until phase two for them to even have a woman as a screenwriter on one of these movies. That's wild.
0: Yeah. and Four movies into phase two, by the way. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. But I think maybe it's also because they didn't have the most faith in the Guardians of the Galaxy just as a property because it was so unknown before this movie came out i remember originally when this movie was announced and everything most people were like who the hell is this i don't know who the guardians are i don't i don't know what's happening here
2: i'm a big comic fan and i didn't know who they were
1: well i think james gunn does poke fun at that especially really early on in the movie when jaman hansu he's like i'm star lord man and he's like who (laughs)
0: Uh, but this movie really did kind of take off in a big, bad way. It made a whopping $773 million against its $170 million budget. It was the third highest grossing film of that year behind some Hobbit movie and some Transformers movie. I don't know either of those franchises, so I didn't bother looking up the titles. Just some Hobbit movie and some Transformers movie. <laughs>
2: Neither of them were good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But, I mean, the this movie definitely did get a, a good reaction. Critically, uh, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was nominated for two Oscars. Didn't win any, but, of course, one of which was visual effects, but it lost to Interstellar, which makes sense. But I hadn't seen this movie probably since it came out in theaters. I was worried that maybe the jokes wouldn't hold up as well. But they did.
2: Yeah. I 100% agree uh, I think this movie hits every bit as hard at the uh, nowadays as it did at the time uh, I I agree with you Frankie the jokes really don't feel particularly dated. Uh, it's just a really, it's a really solidly made movie. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me, it's like in a similar vein to something like Back to the Future. Like I think Back to the Future is a better movie, but in the sense that like it just works really well and the fundamentals of the movie are really strong. It just holds up. And I feel like Guardians is kind of in in a similar vein. Indeed. Indeed. So are we ready to get into the nitty gritty?
1: Indeed. Let's do it. So, we start off with young Peter Quill, and his mother is dying.
0: I forgot about this. I, I don't know how I forgot about how the, this was the opening. You know why? Because I in my brain, before we watched this movie, I thought, Oh, great, we're going to see the opening where Chris Pratt is dancing on this planet and singing to <laughs> so his little Walkman, and that's the opening of the movie. No. <laughs> Just devastation in the first five minutes. <laughs>
2: It's it's even sadder than I remembered. I forgot about the part where his mom wants to hold his hand and he doesn't. And she just dies. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be... They, they're absolutely twisting the knife in this poor child.
0: And then he walks out, well, runs outside in, like, just terror and sadness. And then immediately gets abducted by aliens. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Can this kid have a moment?
2: <laughs>
0: like, just one.
2: What I really like about this is, aside from creating, like, an emotional connection with that character, it explains the Peter Quill that we see later, who still hasn't grown up. Like, he's listening to the exact same soundtrack that he was listening to when he was, what, eight years old?
1: He was raised on a ship of, like, thieves and scoundrels. Like, they're not going to parent him.
2: Yeah. It's like, it feels like he's on a pirate ship. Like the way that the Ravagers are, it feels like uh, feels like Yondu is like the evil pirate captain, and he was raised by like Long John Silver and an I army. I was of just bodies. gonna say
0: Long John Silver <laughs> because literally, what the one thing that kind of always bothered me in Guardians two, not to jump ahead, guys. But if you see in Guardians 2, it, it makes it sound like they've evolved Yandu's character, kind of peeled back the layers. and showed, He really did love Peter and he really was like a son to him, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit bullshit because the guy literally kidnapped him and like used him to steal for him and make him money. And like he almost killed him in this movie. Let's not forget that. So it really does give off a very Long John Silver vibe where he's like, oh, a pirate. And I like I could have killed you multiple times and almost did in this movie. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I got a soft spot for you, laddie. And it's like, OK, <laughs> I don't know if I really buy that holy, but it's fine. <laughs>
2: He's like, I'm a very bad person who is very dangerous and could harm you. But also deep down, I actually really love you and would be very, very sad if something happened to you. But since we brought up Yondu, Michael Rooker is great. (laughs)
0: Well, yes, he's great in everything. Let's be real.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I guess should we, because we might be getting slightly ahead of ourselves. Should we rewind to the planet Morag when we see the first appearance of the man who has become Star-Lord? Yes, we get introduced to...
1: Chris Pratt dancing
2: like a fool, singing into an alien. (laughs) As you do. What an iconic scene.
0: It really is. Like, it just perfectly sets the tone for the entirety of the
1: film, just in that, like, one sequence. The song is, of course, Come Come and Get Your Love. And James Gunn did a really good job of picking catchy
2: songs. Oh, yeah. This soundtrack for this movie, like you said, Frankie, it got nominated for stuff for a reason.
0: It sets, like I said, a distinct tone of like, it's going to be some crazy space shit going on, but we're also going to have ourselves a grand old time. Well, and
2: you need that after like your first 10 minutes of Up opening that we just finished.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly, yeah. But I also kind of wanted to mention, I mean, this is our introduction to like buff Chris Pratt. He lost 60 pounds in preparation for this role. But I I do want to pose a question because before Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt was known as like the funny guy on Parks and Rec, right? And he was a little, he was a little fluffy. All right. I don't judge. I love a fluffy man, but like he was a little fluffy, right? My question is, if Chris Pratt didn't get casted in Guardians of the Galaxy, would we ever have gotten buff action star Chris Pratt? Because now he's, he's basically like Diet Ryan Reynolds now where he's like action star That, like, tries to do a couple quippy jokes but isn't as good as Ryan Reynolds. So (laughs) would that have happened ever if not for Guardians?
1: Would Chris Pratt be where he is now without Guardians? No. No.
2: Not even close. Not even close. Because
1: this probably led to the Jurassic. Jurassic. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think you can draw a line straight from this to basically every other movie he's made since.
1: I think he would have fallen back into bad comedies
0: you're saying Parks and Rec is a bad comedy no I'm
1: about (laughs) to fight you no Parks and Rec is a great comedy but to get into movies like
2: Ryan Reynolds did a ton of terrible comedies Mm. that's true well they tried it with Ryan Reynolds twice he played Deadpool in in the original X-Men Origins Wolverine which was awful uh, oh, I thought you were going to reference Green Lantern. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Oh, those okay. were his two attempts. Like, those <laughs> were his two attempts at being, hey, I'm handsome, funny, quippy guy. Like, those are the kinds of roles that Chris Pratt would have played if he were as big as he is back then. I, that's a really good point that you make, Frankie. Specifically in r- r- comparing Chris Pratt to Ryan Reynolds, because I had not made that connection. But they, I feel like both of them are like in the lineage of handsome, funny men who sometimes cross over. I feel like this movie could have been made in the '80s. You could easily have had like a Chevy Chase starring in this role, or yes. maybe a uh, an Eddie Murphy. Eddie yes. would have been great. Yes. Or a Bill Murray, even. Uh, Like, I feel like any of those dudes could have slotted in. Depending on when in the 80s, I could easily
1: see them going, hey, Harrison, you did Han. Why don't you do Peter Quill?
0: I think Harrison just in general would have been so over it by this point because he also he had Indiana Jones and he had Han. He was like, I can't keep doing this. (laughs) I can't keep doing this shit. It's too much. He literally, the first chance he got, he's like, let's kill Han Solo. <laughs> like, please.
2: I think he'd wanted them to kill Han Solo in Return of the Jedi as well.
0: Yes, they <laughs> wanted. he wanted him dead so bad. Yeah. <laughs> he was done. Wasn't there a rumor at one point that they were going to reboot Indiana Jones and Chris Pratt was going to be Indy or a younger Indy or whatever?
1: They were talking about rebooting Indy and the two names that were always floated about for rebooting Indy were Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper, who's also in this movie. So,
0: Ah! <laughs> they just came out, I think, recently with like uh, an article saying that they would never make an Indiana Jones movie without Harrison Ford in it, which is nice to hear. I hope they stick to that because, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, It's bad enough we're making Indiana Jones 5 when Indiana Jones himself is about 500 years old. <laughs> we can stop now. Like, we, can, we could have stopped at three. We really could have, but we could have stopped at four. But no, we got to make five. We got to squeeze out every last bit of life out of poor Harrison Ford.
1: When the day comes when Harrison Ford unfortunately passes away, depending on which one passes away between Spielberg and Lucas, there will be another Indiana Jones movie. Especially you know. if it's Lucas who is alive longer. That's terrible.
0: <laughs> he's got like a bajillion dollars from selling Star Wars. Like, I don't think he's going to. What does he need it for?
1: He hates the new Star Wars. He can prove that he's the genius.
0: Oh my God. I mean, listen, I'm not happy
2: with the Star Wars sequels either. We discussed that, but like. <laughs> that George Lucas directs a solo Indiana Jones. An 85 year old George Lucas comes out of retirement to direct an Indiana Jones reboot starring Timothy Chalamet.
0: Oh my, imagine. I would watch the shit out of that. So, to get back to Guardians, we're just going to keep going off topic. It's It's fine. fine. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) This is fun.
1: Oh my god. This is going to be an interesting episode to edit later, but it's going to be fun. Um, We do get introduced to our villain. Ronan the Accuser. And Ronan is a Kree warrior who doesn't like the fact that there's a peace treaty.
0: I don't like Ronan. Ronan, I think, is the weakest part of the whole movie. I thought that at the time when it came out, and I still think that.
2: He gets outshined by Nebula. Yeah. Who's, like, barely in it. Definitely. I think Lee Pace really went for it. Like, it's a big performance in that part <laughs> that he gives. What Do you guys think it's because, like, we don't really understand where he's coming from what he's so mad about
0: i think it's because he sounds like he's a little kid pretending to be a bad guy and do like it's what a kid would sound like when he's trying to do a bad guy voice he sounds stupid he's not intimidating he's the guy from pushing daisies like this is not who you get when you want a scary villain character for the five people out there that have watched Pushing Daisies, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's not. No, it doesn't work. Sorry.
1: This is the first time I've ever, like, really started connecting the dots to Star Wars Episode
2: 1. And I'm like, oh, no, no peace treaty space movie. No, no. <laughs> I, I so agree with you. It's like it's the same problem. We don't <laughs> know what the Trade Federation wants in Episode 1. And here, like you, you literally just described the guy, he's a Kree warrior guy. Like, that's it. And that's a very accurate description. He's just a Kree warrior guy. Why is he so mad? We don't know. What's his relationship to the Kree empire? We don't know. He's just like some extremist man who wants to kill all the Zandarians.
0: He's outsmarted by Chris Pratt dancing. That's true. That's all he had to do. <laughs> just get a little jiggy with it. And this guy is like confounded.
1: When you rank Marvel villains, he's like the second worst Marvel villain. Behind who? The guys from Thor 2.
2: Who?
0: I couldn't tell you a damn thing about Thor 2, which is why we're not reviewing it in this show.
2: (laughs) But (laughs) It's it's really a shame, because the rest of the movie has so much personality and so much life. Like, they spend no time on this guy. He's just generic, angry, blue-faced man.
0: They should have just had it be Nebula. Like, fuck Ronan, forget him. Just make the villain Nebula, because she's... Thanos is lackey for the movie, and that's the movie. Like, you don't have to. We don't need more people.
2: (laughs) That's true. Why not, like, cut out the middleman and have it just be, like, Nebula's, like, the Azula to a a Gamora Zuko? That would be cool. I
0: love that he just brought that up because we just did (laughs) our Avatar episode. (laughs) She's already built in with stakes and, like, connection to the... It just would make... And they're both blue. Like, what are we really missing here if we get rid of (laughs) Ronan?
1: Nothing. We're not missing anything. I just
2: don't think... Marvel wanted Thanos to be a huge player in this. Josh Brolin's performance as Thanos in this movie is a lot different than what we eventually get in Infinity War. Like, it's clear that he hadn't really found the character yet because they hadn't really given him much of a character.
1: Yeah, he does become a little more soft-spoken later on. So we are on Xandar now. We're introduced to Rocket and Groot, who are just kind of fucking around until they find Peter Quill, who has a price on his head.
0: Yeah, so we have Rocket, who's voiced by Bradley Cooper, as we mentioned. He also did American Sniper in the same year, which I heard is really bad, but that's fine. We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) then we have Groot, who is Big Tree Man, and he is voiced by Vin Diesel.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Vin Diesel's second greatest role after the Iron Giant. Anyway, has the time come uh, for me to give my character classes?
1: Yes. Yes. Please. Give your
2: give your character classes for, for our, our three boys for our three boys so far. Okay, so right off the bat, uh, Peter Quill has to be a rogue. Peter Quill is clearly like the smooth, resourceful guy with tons of gadgets who just tries to get away and will outsmart you and surprise you. I have him as a thief rogue because he interacts with items so much; as constantly throwing stuff. Also, he steals things. I have Rocket, who is uh, just a trigger-happy madman artillerist, uh, an artillerist artificer specifically, which is like, if you're not familiar with it, artificers are like the tech people in D&D and artillerist is like you make arcane cannons and can fire different things at people. Groot, I have as sort of a reskinned beast barbarian where he gets his powers from getting angry, but when he gets angry, rather than the beast barbarian normally grows animal parts, he just grows longer limbs and can use them for a variety of things.
1: That makes a lot of sense. All of those seem perfect. This leads to Gamora stealing the artifact from Peter.
0: Yes, Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana.
1: Zoe Saldana is in the
2: two highest grossing movies of all time.
1: Yes, yeah, she was in Avatar.
2: Yeah, and she was in Star Trek. It just occurred to me. She was in Star Trek as well. So what's what's Gamora? I have her as a multi-classed open-hand monk with possibly like a champion fighter. I feel like that's kind of her. Like, she's really tough, but also very fast and agile, and she hits real hard. And I guess this is also where we get more of the plot. One thing I wanted to compliment was the way that everyone's plot lines are converging on Peter Quill. Like, we have Yondu putting a bounty out on him, which brings Rocket and Groot into it, and also means Yondu's gonna show up going after him later. We have the fact that he stole something that was supposed to go to Ronin, which means Thanos wants it, which means Gamora and Nebula get involved. All of our major characters all care about this device. I mean, it is very much like a MacGuffin in that regard, but it also creates very clean plotting.
1: We have this big chase where we're trying to capture Peter Quill and it leads to all four of them getting arrested. This prison lineup thing. Oh,
0: yes. I remember that being, like, the big hook for the trailer.
2: Yeah, that was a really... It was a nice little info dump as well where John C. Riley, who may be very happy that he's in this movie, John C. Riley, and Peter Serafinowicz... Uh, Both of them are in this movie, are, like, running through their history. So we get, like, an info dump, like, who is this raccoon? Why is he a raccoon? Oh, he got experimented on. Okay. It's like the usual suspects. It feels like the most representative shot from the movie of who they are.
0: Since you mentioned Rocket, I love the fact that we later find out that Rocket doesn't know what a raccoon is, doesn't know that that's kind of what he is, and also, like... I I like that they didn't just play that for yucks. They later on give him his whole ass moment where he's like, I didn't ask to be here. And it's actually like genuinely sad and not played for laughs that like he fucking hates that he's like this, but he has no choice.
2: Yeah. And they even kind of set that up in this scene where you see like the scars on his back and like the metal parts that have been like grafted onto him. It's like they start laying the seeds for that. They do. I think the script writers do a great job. This is also where we get hooked
1: on the feeling where Chris Pratt gets beaten up because they steal his Walkman.
2: I'm, hooked on a feeling
0: I'm high on that with me.
2: Another great song choice. Yes. This kind of thing is like what makes this movie work. The fact that, uh, sure, the soundtrack is really cool, the action is fun, the visuals are cool, but what alt- the reason we're here talking about this at all is because of the characters. Like, the characters themselves are what make that movie work, and using stuff like this to add depth as well as entertainment value, like, oh, great soundtrack, but it's also a big emotional thing for our main character. Like, all of these songs have great meaning to our main character beyond just, and it makes the whole thing feel a lot more substantial. So
1: the prisoners try and kill Gamora, but Drax stops them because he is meant to kill Gamora. And Drax is of course played by Dave Batista, in his first big role after wrestling.
0: Well, yeah, he left the WWE to go and promote Guardians of the Galaxy, and then he's pretty much shot off since then. He's he's was in Dune, he was in uh, Army of the Dead, he's gonna be in Knives Out too, supposedly.
1: Drax is no nonsense doesn't understand metaphor
0: he is very literal and he is also a character that like is basically set up as like a walking joke but then if you once you get into his character he actually has a very sad backstory that kind of pulls at your heartstrings in a big bad way
1: exactly so we find out that his whole family was killed by Ronan that's like his big whole backstory about how he must kill Ronan for his family. He doesn't like Gamora <laughs> at all.
0: Right, because she's Thanos' daughter. But now we have all of our Guardians of the Galaxy together, and they're going to break out of prison together.
1: <laughs> yes, they. this whole prison break scene, which is also a great scene. I love Rocket going, I need that guy's leg. <laughs> Still great.
0: That whole whole thing was great. And then Quill's like, okay, I got it. And he's like, oh, no, I was just kidding. (laughs) I thought it would be funny. What do you look like hopping around out there?
2: He paid him 30,000 credits (laughs) just to get the leg because he thought it was vital for the plan. He tells you who Rocket is, like how much he doesn't take stuff seriously. I think that perhaps in another era, because at this point he probably was too old, I think Joe Pesci would have been an amazing Rocket raccoon. Oh 100%. Like the percent the, the attitude and tone that 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 Bradley Cooper, even oh the God. accent that Bradley Cooper brings to this character. Yes. In like an 80s version of this starring uh starring like your Chevy Chase or your Eddie Murphy or whoever as Peter Quill uh and like your Sigourney Weaver as Gamora. I I think Joe Pesci would have been an unbelievable Rocket Raccoon.
0: He basically just would have been like a competent and slightly darker version of his character in Home Alone.
2: <laughs> uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Drax, Lou Ferrigno as as Groot. You know who you should get as Ronan? You know who would actually make Ronan really good? Uh, Tim Curry.
0: I love that we're talking about this right now because I also have cast cutaways. Oh, just so we're just so we're aware.
1: Oh, oh dang. Mm. Ronan would have to be Sylvester Stallone if you had Arnold as Drax.
0: <laughs> well, Sly Stallone is already in the MCU, Scott. This is before that. He hasn't gotten there. David
2: yet. Bowie is the collector. Oh, my God.
0: <gasps> that would be everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ooh, that would be really good.
1: <laughs> okay, Frankie, since we did just did this, let's go into the cast. Conference. Yeah,
0: let's just do. Ju- okay, so. Uh, this is one of our favorite segments on the show. Cast could have where we talk about people that were considered for roles in movies. And I have pretty much. Yep. I have it. I have something for everybody here except for group. But I mean, it's how good. can you beat Vin Diesel just grunting and groaning for two hours? So let's start off with Drax because uh, he is the person we met last. I have two pretty major ones for him. Both Jason Momoa and Chadwick Boseman were both at one time considered for the role of Drax. Whoa. Jason Momoa, I think, would be very funny. Jason
2: Momoa would
1: be great. Chadwick is interesting. Chadwick
0: is interesting. Obviously, he later became Black Panther, and that is... He's shown in that role like no one else, so obviously happy that that, it worked out that way.
1: He would have been very funny with, like, no arrow could go over my head. I'm
2: too fast. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's such a weird casting. (laughs) Chadwick Boseman is Drax the Destroyer.
0: It really is. I just find that bizarro. But like, then again, we wouldn't have known Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther. So maybe without that context, we would have felt differently. I don't know. But Rocket, Rocket is interesting. So I have Adam Sandler. We also have Jim Carrey. And we have David Tennant, who played the Doctor.
2: Whoa.
0: Yeah. I thought that was interesting. I would kind of be down for that just because I love
2: David Tennant. <laughs> it would have been very interesting to see have him be Rocket. I'd, I'd watch him at least try it. I think Adam Sandler would have been a really good Rocket raccoon.
0: I think if he did like his normal voice if he did because I feel like Adam Sandler in a lot of his movies his go-to is to put a funny voice on it and like if you mm-hmm. if you're playing a raccoon a talking raccoon I feel like the instinct is to put a funny voice on it <laughs> if you're Adam mm-hmm. Sandler but yeah don't do that if that was no. the case <laughs> and then we have Gamora I had Thandi Newton we talked about her she she had a pretty small role in Solo as oh, okay. Woody Harrelson's yeah, yes, yes, girlfriend yes, 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 yes. which is funny because I saw an interview with her where she constantly gets mistaken for Zoe Saldana all the time because yeah, she's kind of a thinner uh, African American woman so they I guess they commonly get mixed up sometimes I don't know but I, I think she would have been fine yeah she would have been fine but the one I find even more interesting than that is they actually offered the role to an actress who turned it down they offered it to Amanda Seyfried
2: Whoa!
1: I don't see that.
0: I think it. I I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think I heard her in an interview say it was because she was kind of intimidated by the amount of makeup she'd have to wear all the time and didn't want to have to deal with that, which is fair. I mean, it's probably a big undertaking, but I think that would have been kind of. I don't know.
2: No, I can't, I can't I, see it.
0: It would have to have been another Star Lord then, because I don't see her and Chris Pratt having like the same chemistry.
2: What a weird, like! I I have a hard time picturing her.
0: Yeah, I feel like this would have been a total, like, out of left field thing for her, yeah. which could have worked out pretty well. I mean, it's worked out for other actors.
1: I just don't see her as... That
0: th- badass bitch. Yes. Yeah,
1: Her face is
2: too nice.
0: And then last but not least, we have Star-Lord. There's a, there's a bunch for Star-Lord. I'm going to give you uh, some of the highlights, I think. We have a Mr. Zachary Levi, who is now Shazam for the DC Universe, but I, it's kind of the same vibe as, like it's chuck yeah handsome guy who's also funny you know what i mean yeah and then we have joseph gordon levitt jensen ackles from supernatural which would have been cool with me (laughs) we got eddie redmayne in Mm. there which i i don't know how that is a thing that was considered i don't know (laughs) no it doesn't make any sense
1: no
2: it does not get him out of here
0: Scott really fell in love with Eddie Redmayne during our *Les Mis* review, didn't she? Oh
1: yeah, love him, love him, love, love *Les Mis*. It was so
2: great.
0: Are you like a fan of musicals, Jeremy?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm. I really like musicals.
0: When we did the *Les Mis* review, our review of it was about as long as the movie itself, which is like I want to say like two and a half hours because Scott was so vehemently in deep hatred of it <laughs> and it just was to like so high of a degree that it could not be stopped
2: <laughs> i don't like that movie either i like i well i'm okay i'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on les miserables the musical i don't think that was a good adaptation of it i could go on for a long time about musicals we... <laughs> me too
0: trust me scott is not a fan of
1: that but <laughs> yeah the les miserables uh, me okay. and jeremy have connections back to that college yeah we have
2: history oh Uh, god
1: we did a musical review of i was the host and i got invasions of the body snatched into uh
2: one day more
0: oh no you poor baby
2: it was it was really scott was great
0: i understand people listening to this you're like i thought this was a guardians of the galaxy review and we have now talked about like 15 other movies it's (laughs) fine guys we're having ourselves a time
2: what happened? Where? What part of the movie were we at? They, oh, the prison break! Yes, yes. The we're prison we're break back team. to the
0: prison break.
2: Oh, and also this is the scene where Rocket gets a hold of the machine gun and just goes absolutely berserk, like on Groot's back, as Groot, like him and Groot are just destroying all of like the drones and just beating the crap out of all the prisoners. One of the most memorable, I think, shots, maybe moments in this movie. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I didn't say what Drax's uh, character class is. I have him as maybe like a zealot or berserker barbarian. In my case, I'm thinking like he's really devoted to avenging his family and like devoted to like the idea of avenging his family. Mixed with, uh, I would say, either like a champion or like a samurai fighter. Not that he's a samurai, but the idea of like, yes, I am a warrior! who is, like, dedicated to being a warrior, like, the uh, the ideals of that. Yeah,
1: I could see that. That's literally the perfect description for Drax. So, yeah, our whole crew is off to, uh, where do we got, Uh
2: Nowhere, right? Oh, Isn't it nowhere? Th- yeah, they're off to nowhere. Literally it's, nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Nebula comes to the prison, and her and Ronin just kill everybody. This is
0: why I feel like she should have been the main villain instead of Ronan, because Ronan is very loud, as as I mentioned before, like a little kid, you know, trying to be a bad villain with his big, scary, booing voice. But like, Karen Gillan yells too in this movie and kind of gives off almost a petulant vibe in that like jealous sister type way, right? But the difference between the two is that you feel something underneath that. Like, you feel something deeper underneath her anger and fury. Like, you definitely have more of a connection with Nebula than you do with Ronin.
1: And uh, as we would cut back to nowhere, we have to wait for the Collector to be ready for us. The Collector is played by Benicio Del Toro.
0: We, we love Benicio, but I feel like this role is so weird, and
1: I don't know. He's weird!
0: I know, but, like, this seemed like a role... Like, I know we had Jeff Goldblum in Ragnarok, right? But I feel like this was a role that was made for Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) And, like, I just... It just feels right for him to be in it and not Benicio Del Toro. Maybe that's mean, but it just felt like Benicio Del Toro in a funny wig.
1: You know who else would have probably been... um, Matthew McConaughey would have been interesting here, too.
2: I, I'm 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 gonna be honest. I'm not seeing McConaughey right now. What are what? what I would mean,
0: you... I'm not either. But like, it's just the idea of that because it would have it would have stood out, but not in a good way. I something, feel like something in my head <laughs> me
1: makes it seem like it would work. I for get
0: me. I get where you're going with it because he's basically like if Keanu Reeves Beach Bum era. Keanu was like a real person in his 40s. Like if Keanu was still a Beach Bum now, that's who Mac- Matthew McConaughey would be.
1: So coming back, Quill shares his music with Gamora.
0: That was a cute fucking scene. He fooled around and fell in love. Oh, it was so cute. You could, like, feel the chemistry between them. It was so sweet. And then she's like, I'm not going to fall victim to your fucking...
2: Pelvic sorcery. I wrote it down. I loved it so much. We <laughs> love the fucking
0: wordplay with that one. Pelvic sorcery.
1: So we meet the collector, and we find out The thing Peter Quill has been carrying this whole time is an infinity stone. (gasps) And we find out that Drax called Ronan.
0: Ah, yes, because he wants to fight the bad guy because he's strong warrior and stuff. And that was a mistake.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's not even close. There's
1: a whole space battle. Gamora gets shot and she's floating
2: in space. Yes, this is a huge character moment for Quill. This is like the first time we've seen Peter Quill as not just a thief, but a thief with a heart of gold. When he's like, nah, I'm going to potentially sacrifice myself. Hopefully Yondu will show up before I die, but I'm going to jump out and make sure she lives.
1: Well, it's funny because throughout this, Peter Quill constantly survives by the skin of his teeth for something that a normal human should not be able to survive as long as he does
0: right well we that's dropping hints throughout the whole movie of what we later find out to be true about and his father
1: Yandu also shows up peter quill saves gamora's life he lost the infinity stone to nebula though
0: and Yandu almost fucking kills him Let's not forget that. Oh, I love my son so much. My adopted kidnapped <laughs> son. I want going to stab him with my arrow right in the face.
2: <laughs> did you, though, see, like, when Peter uh, pulls out, like, the la- the last ditch, like, oh, wait, no, we can. And he starts to talk his way out of it. Is it just me or did Yondu, like, get a big grin on his face? I don't know. I got a, I got a that's my boy vibe.
1: You are 100% right. Because when he acts tough about killing Peter, it's always in front of the crew. Like, even at the very end, when Peter tricks him with the Infinity Stone, the swap, when he looks at it by himself, he has that smile on his face because he like, clever
2: girl. Still an abusive dad, though. Oh, like, of course. There's no You can't threaten to kill your child and have it not be abused.
0: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let's call a spade a spade now.
1: So we have to come up with... A plan of how we're gonna get the Infinity Stone back. Peter's got 12% of a plan, but we gotta do it. Oh, the whole circle
0: scene is like one of the best scenes in the movie for sure. The basic thesis of the scene is like, listen, we're all a bunch of fuck ups, but if we're gonna fucking fail. At this whole plan to save Zandar, we're going to do it together as a team because we're friends and stuff. We're, we're, we're going down with the friendship, as it were. And um, everyone slowly but surely stands up together. Then Rocket's like, we're just a bunch of idiots standing in a circle now. <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> and that's the scene.
2: <laughs> this was like the, the Fantastic Four movie that the other Fantastic Four movies should have been. Like, because they feel like a family
0: i agree and i also just in general i think in movies i love the concept of like family is not necessarily your blood relatives but it's it's more like you you choose who your real family is you know i love that concept when it's played out in
1: movies so we get to the preparation montage to the song cherry bomb which when we reviewed howard the duck wait is that is that song in howard the duck yeah. Well, no, the well, song's not the, in Howard the Duck. The band that the main girl is in. You know, it,
0: the girl that Howard the Duck, the human girl that, that they the that have sex with, yes. Howard the Duck.
1: The
0: you band, know, that's normal.
1: Yeah, the band's name is Cherry Bomb. Oh. So it was a little nod.
0: Also, just as an aside, this movie came out 28 years to the day that Howard the Duck was released in theaters. So can you tell Howard the Duck is coming in this movie? Can you tell yet? It never ends. Howard the Duck will haunt us forever. (laughs) By the way, listen to our review of Howard the Duck. (laughs) It's a duck, man. And um, the human lady is the love interest to the duck man. I don't understand this at all.
2: (laughs) Look, she can just see past the feathers, Frankie. She can see past the feathers to the real person inside. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. I want to die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should we jump back to Ronan now? Ronan the Accuser?
1: Ronan has realized he has an Infinity Stone, so he could he just go, fuck you, Thanos. I'm the captain
2: now. Oh, wait. We also, isn't, isn't it during the montage where we see Groot pluck off a little twig of himself? Like, even though everyone had been like, look, folks, we might die. Going into this, Groot's like, but I am Groot and like, <laughs> saves a little piece of himself just in case. He
0: will never die. Ah. I also enjoyed your pronunciation of the word montage. You were like, oh, didn't in this montage, I've never heard it said like that. I felt very fancy listening to that.
1: <laughs> the montage. Jeremy's just
2: twirling his mustache yeah, in the corner. I, I, of believe the montage. It. I have a monocle <laughs> right now, specifically for when I say montage.
0: Jeremy, he had a human love interest. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> the Duck, they had a whole scene where they were behind a curtain and you could see their silhouettes on top of each other. It was very uncomfy. And you saying montage made me feel less uncomfy. So I just needed to acknowledge it.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to ease some of the discomfort caused by the the bestiality.
1: In Howard the Duck. <laughs>
2: oh god so now we're up to the battle of xandar and they're working i love that rocket raccoon is like he has actual like authority in this like he's working with people i don't know it's it takes him from being a joke character to being like nah he's like a legit dude he knows what he's doing
1: gamora and nebula have a huge fight i liked their fight
0: specifically because of the kind of emotional baggage that comes along with it
2: a moment that is surprisingly violent for a Marvel movie after Nebula gets shot with like the bazooka. The part where she's like popping all of her joints and bones back into place, surprisingly violent for a PG 13 MCU movie.
0: Yeah, that was uncomfy as well. I would just like to clarify not as uncomfy as Howard the Duck. <laughs>
1: I understand, dear.
0: (laughs) Few things reach that specific level of uncomfy.
2: Yeah. Duck Dick easily outstrips anything in this movie. Uh (laughs) Howard the Duck.
0: I can't believe when I was sitting in the theater... By the way, Howard the Duck is the end credit scene in this movie. And when I sat there in the theater and I saw it, I turned to my friend and I was like, oh my God, just over and over, oh my God, they're going to make a Howard the Duck movie. Oh my God, oh my God, they're going to make a Howard the Duck
2: movie. They even hired Seth Green. I was I was in shock. <laughs> well, we got we gotta hit on one part of this movie. We are Groot. It's the most emotional part of the movie for me. Yes. uh, This made me cry in the theater. (laughs) As they finally, like,
1: knock Ronan to the side because Rocket crashes the ship into him after a bunch of people have now died. And Groot's like, oh, fucking Drax is out cold. We're going to die in this fucking crash. He extends himself out and makes himself like a human bubble and is like... I'm going to sacrifice myself so all of you can live. Rocket's crying. Like, no. Rocket's reaction to it is what makes the scene like, I remember in the theater, that's really what made me
0: cry. Rocket's reaction when he starts crying and being like, why are you doing this? You're going to die. And I just was like, slowly tears were streaming down my face when I watched this the first time. I was like, no. (laughs) And then he says, we are Groot. And I was just like falling over crying.
1: I think Ugh. it's also the first time,
2: as the audience, we actually understand Groot. Yes. Yeah. They never really say it, I don't think, in his in the movie. But in Groot's language, I am Groot is just a sound that they make. But it's like, it sounds to everyone else like they're saying I am Groot. But there's actually like, depending on the inflection and everything, it actually is a full language that they have. But this time, he, I guess, learned enough English to say we are Groot.
1: <laughs> we are
2: family. That was yeah, that was really that was really sweet. That was great.
1: It was a little bit of Dominic Toretto taking over Groot there. Uh, oh my
2: gosh. <laughs> shut up,
0: Scott.
1: I don't have friends. I got family. This
2: is not <laughs> Fast and the Furious, <laughs> please. Paul Walker Good like God. drives up as CGI Paul Walker drives up and nods uh, in the <laughs> middle of the vaults his car like out of the crash and just flies away. Ew. While see you again starts playing on the soundtrack,
1: (laughs) (laughs) so they crash the ship, Groot's dead to our knowledge. Groot is gone, and we think it's over, the battle is over. But of course, Ronan is still alive, comes out with his hammer, he's about to be like, I'm going to destroy you, and then of course, we get chris pratt dancing as the distraction
0: yeah which i'll give it to the movie i mean i didn't see that coming (laughs) i didn't see that as the play yeah so yeah it's certainly apropos for the tones that we've had so far
2: i think chris pratt sells it about as well as he can yeah it doesn't quite land for me perhaps because the movie hasn't been a full bore comedy up to this point i don't know I don't know, Is it does it work for you guys completely? Like, I like it, but I'm like, huh.
1: Yeah, I, I like it. It feels just a little too silly. I, I can
2: understand that.
1: I think
0: I felt fine with it. I feel like what happens next kind of offsets the silliness of that moment, and it makes up for it. Yeah,
1: but it's it, like... Why does Ronan give a shit? Like, Ronan doesn't, shouldn't understand. Well,
0: that's why Ronan is a fucking pointless villain. (laughs) Like, if Gamora was the villain, then none of that would have worked. But it had to be Ronan because Ronan's a fucking idiot and none of that would have (laughs) worked. Literally, he's like a kid trying to be a bad guy.
2: You know what I think that scene needed? I think we need to see Peter Quill at the end of his rope trying to figure out desperately what to do. Yeah. Instead of just like Ronan be like, ha ha, I'm about to do it. And then it cuts to Peter Quill dancing. I think we needed like Peter seeing this and be like, uh, yeah, yeah, stop. And then he's like, what? And, he's and hearing the song has started playing. So he just starts dancing to it. Like right. <laughs> just trying to be like, yeah, man. As like, this is the only thing he can think of to do. And people are like, bro, what are you doing? I don't
1: know, it's, it's fine. It's, it doesn't really take away from my enjoyment of the movie.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: But Rocket shoots the hammer, releases the Infinity Stone. Peter grabs it. They all hold hands to contain the power.
0: That whole segment where he grabs the stone, because, again, it's is another seed kind of planted that he's holding to the stone for a lot longer than a normal person would be able to without, like, exploding and shit. And also, I just think the whole... Se- uh, the whole sequence where Gamora is reaching out saying, grab my hand, and then he kind of flashes back to his mother in the hospital bed. That whole sequence, not just emotionally, but visually as well, it's really striking. I think that whole part of it kind of makes up for the silliness of the dance battle <laughs> moment. But I do agree it is kind of silly. But that's another kind of favorite moment of the movie for me, where Gamora and Peter Quill's mom kind of have that overlap.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And he gets to have an emotional arc. At the beginning of the movie, he didn't take her hand. Now he's willing to take her hand and accept. It's like he's been closed off from everybody. Exactly. And hasn't like let anybody in emotionally. And it's the first time he's like, no, I need other people's help. I'm going to open myself up to other people. And he takes her hand. And now it's like, ah, oh, they're a family. Exactly. I love and it. And that's, that's how they beat Ronan, with the power of family. How are you doing this?
1: Because we're the guardians of the galaxy, Bitch. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And then they destroy Ronan. The day is saved. Uh, Yandu comes to collect the Infinity Stone. And uh, Peter does the... Switcheroo. Exactly. So uh, Yandu goes away with the Ravagers, and he's fine. And he laughs that he gets tricked later on. And you're like, okay, fine. And That's my boy. <laughs> and then uh, we get the kind of wrap-up. The Guardians have had their records cleaned. They leave the stone with the Nova Corps, even though their ranks have been decimated. But okay, fine. Uh, It's fine. Don't don't worry about it. Glenn Close will fix everything. (laughs) And Peter finally gets the courage to open up the gift from his mother.
0: Yeah, this was like the perfect little wrap up
2: for that part. (laughs) We also find out he got the name Star-Lord from his mom's letter.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. The little letter from his mom. <laughs> I love that, too.
2: Yeah. And then no, Ain't No Mountain High Enough.
0: And then we get Dancing Groot, Scott. We can't forget about Dancing no, Groot. It's
2: the original baby Groot. Yes. True. Yeah. But, but we got. I got to chat out the soundtrack. Ain't No Mountain High Enough was a perfect choice Yeah. Uh, for this part of the movie. And I Want You Back is great. And little ba- yes. dancing baby Groot is adorable. Yes,
1: and everyone bought it, and it was a great merchandising thing for Marvel because they made just a shit ton of money off it. Also, that
0: they still are, I'm sure. But yeah, and like also, it was just a collective sigh of relief in the audience that Groot was still alive. So we were like, okay, cool. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: uh, I think uh, baby Groot. I, I can I do I speak for all of us when I say baby Groot is better than teenage Groot. Yes. Well, of course.
0: Teenage Groot's a little asshole, but, like, you know, teenager.
2: Yeah. Baby Groot is just so adorable. And then the scene with him and Drax, like, uh, he's dancing and just keeps freezing. That was adorable. It
1: is really good. And Drax just looks over at him and he stops. It's just like, ugh, it's so good. Honestly,
2: that's Guardians of the Galaxy. Yay! Yeah. Adorable movie with tons of heart. Really fun. Definitely one of the most distinctive and fun and good of the MCU movies.
1: I agree completely, yes. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. There's a
1: reason I think such a weird group of characters kind of became instant favorites for a lot of people. Because you let James Gunn bring them to life and like have a fun time with these characters.
2: Mm-hmm. And they it's, really got out of his way. It feels like Marvel really got out of James Gunn's way a lot with the with this movie and the second one. Uh, well, in a way that like they haven't for most of the other directors. Like It seems like a lot of other directors have kind of chafed under that system. Whereas people like the Russo brothers and James Gunn and Taika Waititi have really thrived. Uh, and it seems like Marvel really did not get in James Gunn's way a lot with this movie. And he absolutely knocked it out of the park. I think what you have to do
1: with Marvel at this point is you have, like, the main series of Marvel, which is, like, what the Russo brothers have had basically control of since Civil War. Right. You need that one big voice that can kind of lead, things that connect. But these little side-off weird things like Ragnarok, like Guardians, hopefully maybe eventually Squirrel Girl. Oh, God, Squirrel Girl.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anna Kendrick, still out there hoping for a Squirrel Girl movie.
1: But all these characters that are a little bit off the beaten path that you don't necessarily... They can connect to the main Marvel universe, but they don't have to right away. I think you let those be more director-controlled than part of the Marvel MCU machine right away.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's like they try out directors there and then like transition them into bigger movies, potentially.
0: Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do with the series on Disney Plus now also because like the Moon Knight series. I don't know if you've seen that, Jeremy.
2: Uh, I've only seen a little bit of it.
0: It was really, 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 really good. Like I was surprised at how much I genuinely really liked it. And I think a lot of that has to do with Oscar Isaac, I think, just being a, a great actor. But I think also it has a very distinct style and it. You definitely see Marvel's fingerprints on it a little bit, but like you could very much believe it to not be a completely Marvelized project, if that makes sense.
2: The bits that I saw with like Egyptian mythology and gods and stuff showing up, as well as like the, I guess, the examination of like mental health, as well as even though it's off screen, there's quite a lot of like pretty violent stuff happening in that movie. Yeah, that yeah, or sorry, not vi- movie, but uh, that show. It definitely felt distinctive from what I could tell from a lot of other Marvel properties, certainly the movies.
1: The TV shows have tried to go in different routes and different methods. I kind of can't wait to see when they fold some of these TV shows back into the movies. Like, I kind of can't wait to see... Loki. Loki. Well, Loki, a yes.
0: Loki was another one I really loved, and he, you know he's going to be.
1: Oh, he's going to coming back in the movie when so. uh, when Kang comes over. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, I really, really liked the Loki series. He's going to be great, and that's going to be a whole fucking mess. But also, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie. Yeah, I, I kind of can't wait to see what they take from Winter Soldier, uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, and bring that back to Marvel like the mcu right
2: Mm. uh and hopefully if they ever bring charlie cox's daredevil back
0: oh i think they are i think they just announced they're doing a daredevil series so that's gonna be great
2: Ah, about time yeah i'm glad they're bringing i loved seeing him uh pop back up in spider-man no way home that was fun oh
1: when he catches the brick it's
2: hilarious yeah i'm a really good lawyer
0: yeah unfortunately I got spoiled to that before we saw the movie but Scott didn't so I was really just waiting for his reaction and I was like watching him watch it and it was really great (laughs) it was satisfying
2: enough for me I think though this movie is Guardians of the Galaxy specifically bringing it back to Guardians this one is what unlike what a lot of other Marvel movies are this one feels like a really good standalone movie I agree you didn't need like it was great that they made another one it didn't feel like this movie needed a sequel. Not that I was like, why'd you make a sequel? But like when the movie ended, it was like, wow, yeah, they just told a complete story uh, about these characters growing as people. Uh, Is there? And they hinted at a whole world that's going on outside of them. That's really cool. It's just a really cool story within this universe. It works incredibly well as a standalone movie.
1: And that's the thing about universes that people seem to forget is that you need to have good, solid, single movies that connect to a bigger picture, but they're still good movies by themselves. Okay.
0: So what what did we rate Guardians of the Galaxy out of five stars? I, I had it as a four and a half, and I'm, I'm keeping it as four and a half. I think that's an accurate rating.
2: <laughs> mm. uh, I think I'd go with a four stars. I think it's a really, really good movie. I highly recommend it if you are into fun space adventure movies. Uh, You're not going to do too much better than this.
1: I also have it as a four and a half. It's a lot of fun. I can't recommend it more. The only, again, the only real downside is Ronin, but it's forgivable because everything else is great.
0: Yeah, you can forgive the, Mm -hmm. you know, the little eh
1: things. A lackluster villain. So, Jeremy, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. You were great, like always. Oh, thank you. Give uh, everybody, again... Shout out Free Black Halflings. Tell them where they can find your show and
2: your new Twitter account. Oh, yeah, that I actually use now. Uh <laughs> Yes. uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast to come back on, get to hang out with you guys again, and talk about a really great movie. I'm as uh, one-third of Three Black Halflings. Uh, You can find us, uh, the show, wherever pods are cast. You can also follow us on social media at three, the number three, Black Halflings on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Pornhub. Jesus Christ. You can also find me uh, on Twitter uh at jeremy cobb one that's cobb with two b's in the number one uh i tweet from time to time i retweet things fairly regularly uh i am not on Pornhub, but uh three black halflings is canonically you heard it here first folks uh but uh thank you i want to say thank you again so much for having me on uh this has been a really really a really big blast
0: so next week For the continuation of Music Month, I'll be showing Scott a movie that um, also features some, you know, 70s songs, some classic tunes. But we'll get to that when we get to that. Until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm
1: Scott Eisenberg. And
0: I'm Jeremy Cobb make sure you check us out on instagram and twitter at shoot the flick and check out our weekly episodes every single wednesday on itunes spotify google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast and make sure you come back next week for our spacerific hilarious movie adventure i am groot
1: we are groot we are groot listen baby Why?